HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're turning our attention to how the global pandemic is impacting our mental health and how food brings us comfort during these times. I've never understood why people have said I'm brave for solo dining. Food can kind of be a source of solace or it can be a source of excitement or like an activity to, to keep you busy. When there's a crisis, typically the restaurant industry is one of the industries that springs into action in terms of being like, we'll come in, we'll take care of you. Tune in to Meet and 3 to learn more about the psychological effects of COVID-19. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, it's Tuesday, June 16th, 2020. We're recording and it's during the time of COVID, so we're recording remotely. But we're lucky we have guests joining us from London, Sweden, and other parts of New York. Uh, I'm Jimmy Carboni, I'm the host. Please support heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. There's a membership drive going on with some perks, including a very cool COVID uh, bandana. So um, we're going to introduce everyone here. We're talking a little bit about export and kind of how the impact of COVID has uh, affected different aspects of the beer business in London, Sweden, as well as New York. So let's go through the guests. I'm Jimmy. Let's go start with uh, Kurban from Crafted Exports. Hey, this is Kurban, Crafted Exports co-owner. Glad to be here. Great. And Pete? This is this is Peter McNulty from Crafted Exports. Thanks for having us on. Great, man. And Todd? Yeah, Todd Madison from Mondo Brewing Company in London. Thanks for having us. Great. Scott? Yeah, Scott Vaccaro from Captain Lawrence Brewing Company up in Elmsford, New York. Andrew? Uh, Andrew Reed here in Sweden, uh, Galatea Export Manager, former Crafted Exports employee. Well, this is a very exciting show. Uh, last year, we had Kurban and Peter on talking about uh, different aspects of exporting beer and what it was like to, to try to sell something to a Norwegian and Swedish, you know, import board. And then those shows are on, on the books and they're really good. And um, one of the things that was most interesting was your involvement in the last year, the Red Sox and Yankees had a baseball game, Major League Baseball game in London. And, um, the, you know, that story was about 
Todd Madison at Mondo Brewery, who's from Connecticut, uh, got really excited and helped put together some collaborations with you guys. So, um, Todd, why don't you first tell us about how that came about? Um, that's a good intro to this show because it shows how you work with Kurban and Pete and how Scott Vaccaro at Captain Lawrence got involved in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when we found out that the Red Sox and Yankees were playing, I'm a, I'm a huge Red Sox fan, uh, having grown up in the eastern part of, of Connecticut. Um, and uh, I thought it'd be a fun idea to try and get some breweries from New York and, and Boston together to do a little uh, New York versus Boston on the taps here in London during the games. And it started off as kind of a small idea, actually. Um, just kind of something fun to do um, to celebrate the series and, and my love of baseball and the Red Sox. And um, and I started talking to, to Kurban about it. And we got to thinking about maybe doing, instead of just doing one brewery from each city, doing two breweries from each city and um, and how that would work logistically with getting the beers over here in time. And um, and one thing led to another. And we got, uh, we got Scott and Captain Lawrence crew involved. We got... Um, uh, Gun Hill involved from New York, as well as for Boston, it was Harpoon and Night Shift. And um, my business partner, Thomas Palmer, who's from St. Louis, uh, we flew over uh, in April and did the uh, the brews with those guys over a week-long period, and uh, which was a lot of fun. And then the beers, once they were ready, were shipped over. And um, we ended up, uh, on the back of that, we ended up having conversations with um, with MLB separately, this all came about because of this this idea of doing this little project. And um, uh, one thing led to another, where we uh, essentially were able to produce uh, a, a bespoke or a custom beer for the series itself, and also uh, have the collab beers on at their fan zone, which they did in East London. And um, ended up being a really fun project, really great project, and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of great beers were made for that. And um, yeah, we had a we had a great time with that. Um, so, and there was some kind of like baseball didn't play so well in London, did it? There was like twenty or thirty runs scored in each game. It was like a whole different game over there. <laughs> it was it was crazy, uh, and the, the weather was uh, the hottest had been here in a long time. It was um, super hot and humid, uh, so it felt like you were in the U.S. and and the stadium. They did a really good job of of turning the stadium into to a baseball stadium. Um, and they sold the get both games out. I think there were sixty-five thousand people for each game. So um, there was a lot of a lot of great uh, support for it here in the UK and in Europe. But obviously, you got a lot of people flying over from the US to watch the games as well. Um, but it was a it was an amazing experience uh, just to be a part of that. We actually had the beer we made for um, for the series was on at the stadium, and like I said, the beers that we did, the collabs we did, were on at the fan zone. So. It was great exposure for everybody, and it was um, just just a lot of fun. So, well, that's great. That's a good intro. Now, and now, Scott. So, at Captain Lawrence, you were part of that project uh, from New York area. Tell us about your involvement in that. We're trying to set set the stage for how things were a year ago, and then versus how they're going to be now. So, yeah, yeah. It was uh, you know, it's always fun to get a call and uh, you know have a project put in front of you that can be uh, you know fun and exciting. And obviously, we need to help support the. Uh, you know, the, the world's greatest baseball team, New York Yankees, against the evil uh, Boston Red Sox. And so, you know, we, um, yeah, we tried to make a beer that was blue, you know, and we, we used blueberries in it, doing a, a blueberry smoothie IPA. 
And, uh, you know, it's debatable as to whether or not the blueberries turned it completely blue, but um, it was it was tasty and it was definitely a fun year to make. Yeah, and Scott, we, you know, we had you on uh, several times over the years. I know I put something on Instagram yesterday from an event we did in 20, 2010, but you've really grown a lot. I mean, uh, you, you've you want to give us a little overview of, of, of where Captain Lawrence is now and, and how it's expanded, because um, you're an important craft brewery in the New York City area. That's kind of you to say. I mean, yeah, we've been around 14 years now. It's kind of crazy to think. Um, so, yeah, we started out, you know, in Elmsford, basically, uh, you know, just me and one other person doing draft only, delivering in the back of a Jetta. And, uh, you know, those were different days back then. There was, you know, 40 breweries in the state of New York and maybe only 1,500 in the country. And, um, you know, we kind of grew up from a draft only brewery to, uh, you know, outgrow the space in Pleasantville, move down the road to Elmsford. And now we're, you know, we're distributed from... Uh, Massachusetts down to Florida with a few holes in there between, you know, most of our beer is still sold in the New York Metro. And I can't forget Sweden, obviously. Um, and all of the export that uh, Kerban does. Um, yeah. And, and here we are, you know, all these years later from a little 300 square foot tasting room. Now we have a, you know, 3000 square foot beer hall, a 5,000 square foot beer garden. And, uh, you know, we're bottling, canning, kegging, and, you know, doing everything else in between. So, it's uh, it's been an interesting uh, fourteen year run, that's for sure. That's great. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of things today, and now let's bring in Andrew Reed. Andrew, uh, I knew you as one of the more charismatic beer salespeople in New York City for a number of years, uh, but you had a dream of working in Sweden. So tell us how that happened. Well, yeah, we met uh, when you first opened up the restaurant uh, down in the East Village uh, when I was still working for Oma Gang, and uh, then. After the Duval USA Oma Gang thing, I went up and worked for Manhattan Beer for about eight years. Um, that's where I met Scott. And um, and then a few years later, uh, here I am in Sweden. Um, I, I married a Swedish-American woman. And, um, you know, we were living in Astoria for a really long time. And we had two kids. And... You know, we're, we're struggling to figure out how we were going to make everything work in New York City and always had the dream of, you know, maybe we should just get up and move to Sweden and try and make it work there. We tried three times and uh, finally we got uh, Sophia, my wife, to get a job. Um, and so then the application process went through and the government allowed me to move there and um, and once that happened, um, a friend of mine told me, hey, you should talk to Scott. He's doing really well in Sweden right now. A friend, uh, a friend of mine, John, who works for Founders over here in Europe. And um, so I went to a Blind Tiger event that Scott was having. And we talked about uh, Sweden. And he said he's doing great. Um, and that he's working with a company called Crafted Exports. And they are doing awesome things for him over in Europe, opening up new markets. And he was able to get his grapefruit session beer on the shelves of the Monopoly here. Um, and so he put me in touch with Q and Pete and uh, we, uh, we got together, we talked. I remember I, I got to have my interview with Peter as he was uh, walking from Grand Central to uh, a meeting over on Madison Avenue, I believe over a, a cup of coffee and um and it, it just was amazing i was very thankful i uh, was able to land here and as soon as i got my paperwork put together 
in September of 2018. Uh, started working for them on the streets and uh, really it, it was an amazing thing to be able to land on my feet here and, uh, and, and just be able to keep working with Captain Lawrence and, and the other portfolio that Crafted Exports has. Um, it, was, it was kind of a dream come true. Well, that's a great story. So that's a little intro. So, uh, Kurban, um, I'd like to hear a little bit about what are the top export markets right now or, 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 you know, have been the last five years. I remember maybe it was 10 years ago that I know whenever Brooklyn Brewery uh, realized that Sweden was their top export market and they've had a lot of partnerships, um, that put it on the map for me. Um, so what's it been like, a quick overview of the last five years of, of a export of American craft beer to Europe. Yeah, sure. So um, it's actually kind of funny to use the five-year marker because Peter and I are celebrating our five-year anniversary next month for Crafted Exports. So it's crazy how that time has uh, has flown by. I still remember going to meet Scott in the early days uh, to talk about our crazy export ideas. But when we started, our first country was the UK. Um, we thought that the craft market was really maturing there uh, and we can do some fun things, uh, getting American craft beer tasting the same uh, in that market as it does here. Um, and then from there, we jumped to we made our first jump to Scandinavia with Norway, um, then really found our groove with Sweden uh, and things started to take off from there. And then now we're we're actually throughout Scandinavia, uh, including Iceland uh, and also added a bunch of more other European markets like uh, the Netherlands and Russia, uh, and also are now in Canada as well. So things have kind of uh, progressed pretty quickly uh, over a five-year period, and uh, we're really excited about all the things that we're doing in, our mar- in each market. Well, that's great. Like I said, a, a year ago, we did a pretty good interview with you both and got a sense of what your business is. But we're, we're going to kind of uh, focus on your three guests today. And I'd like to jump in and ask a little bit about the impact of, of COVID on or coronavirus on you know your particular areas of expertise. So Andrew, you're Galatea. Tell us what Galatea is in Sweden. Is it is that the monopoly? Um, and tell us a little bit how the Swedish import business works. And then um, you know tell us a little about Sweden's approach to quarantine because we've heard that Sweden somehow uh, did not suffer much from from COVID? Uh, yeah, so I'll start with Galatea. So Galatea is a importer uh, distributor. We also own our own uh, logistics warehouse as well. And so, you know, we, we purchase the beer uh, from Crafted Exports, uh, bring it in on container and bring it right to our warehouse and then distribute it to our customer base. Um, here in Sweden, the channels are are pretty similar with one huge difference. Uh, That is uh, what is called Systembolaget. And that's one long word, tough to say. Um, Systembolaget is the state-run liquor monopoly that the government of Sweden owns. There's 444 uh, stores throughout the, the whole entirety of Sweden. And they sell all wine, all spirits, and all beer over 3.5%. Um, under 3.5, you can go into the grocery channel. Um, and then, of course, you have your, your on-trade. Um, Sweden is a very um, 
off-trade based market. Um, so you have about a, a 80-20 split when it comes to system blog it to the on-trade. So um, it's just, you know, a different kind of culture. People go out here, but they're very much in moderation. There's a, there's a Swedish word called logum, which is everything in moderation, you know, eat in moderation, live in moderation, drink in moderation, logum, it's just right. Um, so um, Swedes by and large purchase the vast majority of their beer at the Monopoly, not the, the grocery channel. Um, and there is a pretty nice craft beer scene here in Sweden. Um, as you noted before, it kind of started with Brooklyn Brewery. Um, Sam Adams got in quite early too, and then Lagunitas after that. Um, and same as you, Jimmy, I remember talking to, I think it was Robin Ottaway or Chris Rom from Brooklyn, and they were like, yeah, you know what our number two market is outside of New York City? Sweden. And it, it kind of blew my mind. Um, but they got in early with Brooklyn Lager. They, they actually brew it here now in Sweden uh, in conjunction with Carlsberg. Um, and the purchasers at System Blog, it, uh, it, it's kind of crazy to imagine, but you deal with two people that purchase beer for the whole entire country at System Blog. It. Um, they love beer. They're, they're total beer geeks um, and they truly appreciate American craft beer. So there's a tender process where they basically say we want to purchase a, a 355 milliliter bottle of a IPA. Here's the alcohol. Here's the, the price we're looking for. And, and I go to Q and I say, hey, Q, this is what System Blog is looking for. Uh, he does his research in America. He contacts all of his breweries. He comes back to me with a, a detailed list of everything that fits all the parameters they're looking for. Uh, we, we hone it down to make sure that everything really fits, is good to go. I submit it, and then uh, it's, it's basically uh, round one is submit. Round two, if you get to it, is send in the samples. Then uh, they do a blind tasting of all the samples for that one particular thing. And then if, if you get real lucky, you win. Um, and that, that was the big thing, you know, with, with Scott and Q in the beginning uh, for a, a, a session IPA uh, with fruit from, uh, an, from America. And, and, you know, Scott was up against other huge breweries. I know Ballast Point was putting stuff in there. Uh, um, I know New Belgium put their Citradelic in there. Um, but it's a blind tasting, so it really doesn't matter the 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 label, the brewery. It's all about the flavor, and um, his his grapefruit won, and uh, and and yeah, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Off off that, we've been able to get special offerings in with Scott because um, once you have something on the shelf, and the Swedes start really loving the brewery, which they do with Captain Lawrence, um, you're able to get in what's called a like a, they say TSE, it's a temporary two-week release. Uh, they do about 26 a year. Um, this year, we've had uh, Tears of Green. We're going to have his Juicy White in soon. And then we also got a, a winner of a, a fall seasonal beer with his Autumn Blaze. Um, so that, that's the way the Monopoly works. And then, of course, you have the Entrade. And yeah, with, with the COVID... Sweden decided to uh, tough it out 
<laughs> and um, we do have some restrictions here. So there is a restriction of gatherings of 50 people or more. They recommend people stay home and work from home whenever possible. Um, and they had a, a bit of a travel restriction too within the country. Um, but the bars, restaurants, schools, society stayed open. Um, and we didn't know what was going to happen because obviously the, the ban of gatherings of 50 people or more totally applies to the bars and restaurants. Um, so when March hit, you know, Sweden stayed pretty strong. We didn't see a drastic reduction in the on-trade business. But in April, people were very fearful. And um, people, even though the bars and restaurants were open, they stayed home. And you, you saw the numbers really take a nosedive. Not to zero, but we, we lost about 65% of our on-trade business um, really quickly. Like between March and April, it, it took a nosedive, of course. Um, it, it was a real rough April, especially for specialty um, you know, the, the bars reduced down their draft lines quite significantly. Like if they had 12, they'd bring it down to six or four lines because they didn't have as many customers. And those, those lines that stayed were, were mega lagers, maybe an IPA. Um, so, you know, the, I know the rest of the world kind of got the impression that it's business as usual. It, it was not. We, we took a really heavy hit on the nose and the, and the on-trade. Um, but... I guess the the upside is we're we're already looking at recovery um slowly the numbers for June halfway through the month are are starting to look pretty promising I think um Swedes are just deciding to go back out the weather finally got nice uh took quite a while up here way up north and um the numbers are starting to go up but you really see it again the major brands are the ones that are going to go up first because they're already on the lines. Uh, you know, they're the, the brands people call for when they go into the bar anyway. Um, so we predict um, next month, July, August, going into September, the, the larger, uh, you know, mega loggers are going to get probably back up to 85% of sales from last year. And our, our big hope is that the specialty beer, as people go back to the bars, as the bar owners decide to open up all their draft lines again, um, the specialty beers like we specialize in uh, start pulling right behind the big ones. And that by October or November, you know, we're starting to see the stuff being pulled out of the warehouse at a pretty good rate. Well, that's a good intro uh, to what we're talking about. I'm gonna jump to Todd because he's in London. Uh, same thing, Todd. Just first give us a little bit of how you opened a brewery in, in, in London and also, a, a, you know, adjustments to the culture, the beer culture. You know, what, what are people buying over there? Draft, cans. Um, we'll start with that and then you can talk a little bit about perhaps how you guys have uh, invested in e-commerce and other changes. Because, I mean, London, I know I was I was lined up to do a barbecue event there, Brisket King London on July 14th. So I know that, um, you know, London got us shut down as much as New York city. So how you got started and then what, what you, what you're doing now to go forward. Yeah. So, uh, we started, uh, actually we're also celebrating our fifth birthday, uh, this year. In fact, uh, 
this month was supposed to be our, actually July 4th was supposed to be our big fifth birthday party. We usually do it at the beginning of June, but um, my business partner, Tom, and I uh, started this uh, back in end of 2014. And uh, we met working at another brewery in London called London Fields Brewery, which is now owned by uh, Carlsberg, actually, uh, in Brooklyn Brewery. And um, uh, we met there and uh, back in 2013. And we both had plans of opening up our own breweries eventually. And I was looking to do something in Connecticut. Um, he was looking to do something uh, potentially over here or back in the States as well. And we, um, we just started talking. Uh, we were on the same shift, brewing shift together and uh, just many conversations, some uh, sober, some not so sober, uh, talking about doing something in London. And there was a great opportunity here to get involved in the, in the London brewing scene. Um, and, um, you know, one thing led to another. We we got to uh, the point where we decided to go for it, and we I had a business plan that I had been working on, and we started tweaking that. And within eight months of deciding to go for it, we were up and running, um, and we chose Southwest London because uh, it was a mark a part of the market that was a bit underserved, and we we both lived close by to to where we wanted to start the brewery and. Um, so we officially started brewing in April of 2015 um, and had our first beers released uh, in end of May, early June of, of that year. So, um, so yeah, it's been about uh, five years of production and um, it's been amazing. I'm, I moved here in 2012 for my wife's job. It was supposed to be a two year uh, contract and one, uh, you know, here we are eight and a half years later. Um, and uh, the number of breweries in London at that time was about 20, I think. And now there's uh, close to 130. Um, so, you know, it's, we've seen, you know, the same amount of growth that the U.S. has uh, seen over the, over the past, you know, number of years. Uh, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, obviously the U.K. Uh, beer scene was, you know, that's where the IPA was born here. And um, to see now that the, the London scene and the U.K. scene as a whole has really um, looked at the U.S. market in terms of how they're brewing IPAs and uh, and taking that on board, it's, it's really changed quite a bit since I've been here. Um, and you know that when we first started out, we definitely were producing more uh, West Coast style beers, you know, a lot more bitterness to them. And that was about the time that the the haze craze was starting up a bit. And uh, and you know we've we've shifted a bit with that. Um, we still produce some West Coast style, but obviously a lot of the stuff we do is, is more um, along the lines of the, the hazy New England. Um, and uh, it's it's been really interesting to see that change in the customer's palate here uh, and what they're looking to drink. And, you know, the alcohol percentage uh, is a big thing. I mean, our core beers are 5.3% and below. So, we have five core beers, um, Dennis Hopper, which is our, our flagship IPA, that's 5.3%, that's our strongest one. And then we have a, a few more that are in the high fours to low fours. So it's, you know, people still want sessionable beers. They wanna be able to drink a lot of them. Um, but obviously the, the higher ABV beers are still quite popular, especially amongst the beer geeks here. And um, uh, so we, we definitely do a bunch of those. Um, it's about, for us, it's about 80% of our core beers and 20% uh, specialty or seasonal beers that we do. Um, now, with, with the with the whole COVID 
uh, situation, we had to switch pretty quickly to all can and bottle. Luckily, we, we have our own canning and bottling machine. Um, some of the breweries here don't, and they rely pretty heavily on, on the mobile canning. So we were quite fortunate in that regard that we could switch pretty quickly. The other thing is we were working on a new website, which just actually launched yesterday. Um, and with that, will be a new web shop. But in the meantime, we had to um, switch to, to online sales pretty quickly. And we started the Shopify account. And, and that's been going really well for us. And, um, you know, we've seen a, a lot of support from locals and people further afield in the UK, um, you know, buying our beer. That's been a, it's been really great to see uh, and a huge help. But again, it's not replacing sales one for one with our keg sales. Uh, and, you know, keg was, was our biggest uh our biggest product. And obviously for us, unlike Sweden, we, we shut down completely. So there was, you know, nothing was open and uh, things have started to come back a bit. There are some places that are offering takeaway pints, um, which is good. And we've been selling some more beer to those places, but uh, the pubs are supposed to open on the 4th of July, but it's not completely clear if that's going to happen yet. Um, but those are pubs that only have, you know, typically have, big outdoor beer gardens. Um, so, you know, we're trying to figure out how much we need to put into kegs over the next week or two um, to, to satisfy that demand. Um, and what's going to happen with, you know, with the small pack sales, we don't know yet. I mean, is, are people, once pubs reopen, are people going to go back to just going to the pub and drinking? Obviously, the pub here is such a way of life for people. Um, so it's, it's really tricky to, to try and, you know, forecast for this stuff. And um, it's obviously unlike anything we've ever seen or anybody else has seen. So trying to navigate it is, is really difficult, but, you know, we think we're doing a pretty good job of it. And um, the one big problem we've had actually is because all these breweries have switched to, to small pack, um, the 440 milliliter can um, is obviously become very popular. And we have now a problem with our can manufacturer where they are limiting the number of you can get per month based on your um, purchasing history pre-COVID, so uh, which is really unfortunate. So we're now we're only able to get one pallet a month until they increase production, <laughs> which doesn't really help us because we have a lot of beer in tank that's supposed to go out really soon, and so we're scrambling to try and find more pallets, uh, which we think we'll get, but it's really caused a lot of problems for us um, from a production standpoint. Um, so, you know, but I, I think that, uh, when the pubs do reopen, and if it does happen on the 4th of July, there's going to be, I mean, there's so much pent up, you know, demand for this and uh, people are, you already see it, the places that are serving pints for takeaway that are near the parks. I mean, they're just absolutely crushing it. It's just, you know, the lines are, you know, 50 people deep constantly for hours upon hours. And so, you know, people want to go out and drink beer and, um, and, and get back to that way of life of going to the pub and being social and, you know, so we'll see how that, how that pans out. But, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been interesting for us uh, in having to adapt so quickly. Um, and we're quite fortunate again, to, to be in a position where we have that uh, canning and bottling capability. So that's helped. And we, you know, we've seen sales basically drop by 50% across the board. And um, uh, the other tricky thing is, is, what do we do with the beer that people had bought, this pubs had bought uh, before lockdown? You know, some we're, we're, we're looking to do a, you know, uh, 
uh, an idea where we replace uh, the old stock with brand new stock, um, and uh, some places will just get credit notes. You know, we're trying to figure out how that's going to work. And the pubs that do have beer that's gone out of date, there's really strict guidelines as how how do you get rid of that beer. So you have to document it with video, writing down how much you poured down the drain. Um, there's you know there's so many rules about how you go go about getting rid of that beer. So you know, there's a lot of things um, in play that are really making it difficult for the small breweries here um, to come out of this in a decent, decent position. So. Thanks, Todd. That, that's a good intro. Uh, right now, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's June 2020, and we're talking with folks in Sweden, England, and greater New York about exporting beer and other things that are going on in the craft beer scene. Uh, next up, Scott Vaccaro of Captain Lawrence Brewery. Uh, Scott, um, you know, you're in Metro New York City. You're also doing export. Um, you know, as a brewery owner... What are the changes at the dis- distri- distributor and account level for you in New York City? Uh, we know that most of New York City has been shut down in many ways, too. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, 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 we basically got shut down completely. I mean, it was a hard stop. You know, um, uh, you know our, dist- our, our largest distributor um, as a company, you know, covers the New York Metro, the 14 counties, Manhattan beer. I mean, they, you know, ground to a halt as well. And with that, you know, so did we, um, you know, we started out as a draft only brewery. Um, so, and we still have a, a, a fairly large sizable draft, um, segment to what, you know, we're over 50% of our business, uh, especially in the New York Metro. And, um, that business obviously disappeared, uh, overnight. Um, you know, we're fortunate in that we've been at it long enough that we do have some, uh, placements in the chains. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, Whole Foods or ShopRite or Stop and Shop, what have you, um, and, you know, and those uh, businesses being deemed essential services as as we were as a brewery, um, you know, continued to do business. And um, we added into, you know, all of this mix um, home deliveries from the brewery and um, curbside pickup. And that's something in 14 years we'd never done. And it, uh, you know, definitely added a new dynamic and, um, you know, has helped us keep the lights on. But I mean, it, it was a... You know, it was, it was a dark, uh, dark couple of weeks, uh, you know, that first four weeks, uh, first month of the shutdown. I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, you know, it, it was uh, it's been a scary time. How did you ramp up to curbside delivery? I've seen a number of breweries do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're. Yeah, I mean, we're in an interesting, you know, physical location. I mean, we're not in, you know, we're not in a downtown area. You know, we're kind of in a little industrial park. And so, um that coupled with the fact that I just, you know, have a really strong, um, you know, retail, you know, management team, um, that, you know, there was not even a question. It wasn't even a, there wasn't even a hiccup. I mean, they basically just said, okay, you know, we can't invite people into this beautiful beer hall and beer garden we've built. Let's figure out how to get them beer. And, um, you know, I certainly can't take the credit, but, um, a few of, uh, a few of my managers, basically they sat down and they said, this is what we're going to do. We got with our marketing team, got the website, you know, locked and loaded and, um, you know, away we went. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, that first week we did it, you know, it was a little slow, a little touchy. And then from there it kind of picked up and, uh, you know, kind of peaked right before, um, Memorial day. And, uh, it's kind of been on a little bit of a, you know, slow descend since then as, you know, 
restaurants begin to open up their outdoors. You know, we, we haven't opened up outside yet. We could have done it last week. We could have had our beer garden up and running, but we wanted to make sure we, we did it right. And so we've held off and we're going to be opening up uh, tomorrow. That's great. And then going back also during this time, you know, what were the top sellers that, that you sold retail and curbside? You know, were there things you already were putting into cans or bottles? Just give us a sense yeah. of that and how that how that evolved for you. I mean, when when did you first start doing cans and bottles? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, I, you know, as a company, we started bottling um, after we moved into our Elmsford location. So we've been here uh, going on eight years. Um, so we started bottling about seven years ago. Um, canning, we started uh, really right, you know, right before we started selling beer to Sweden with the uh, effortless grapefruit, that that tender win. I mean, it was kind of, you know, really kind of forced us uh, to get the to get our act together when it came to canning. Um, nowadays, you know, our package mix outside of the New York metro, we only sell cans. So we still sell um, a decent amount of bottles. Um, you know, in the, in the 14 counties uh, surrounding us in the city. But outside of that uh, area, it's, it's cans only, exports, cans only. Um, so, you know, when we did start doing the curbside pickup, um, it, it definitely was a little bit of an eye-opener. I mean, we, we launched a beer called Citra Dreams um, last November. Um, so it really hasn't even been out a year. And it's just, you know, 7% ABV, hazy, 16-ounce can, um new england style ipa and that has been our number one seller from day one since we started the curbside pickup and home delivery um you know the number two and three and four have kind of rotated through um but whenever we put out something new and that was probably every 10 days or so um, that one would shoot up to that number two or number one spot even for a day so you know people still want new they still want interesting um but uh you know new england ipa is still uh, seems to be winning winning the race and then uh just tell us again about how you guys got involved in export uh you know sweden england working with crafted exports yeah yeah i mean you know uh yeah sure um yeah i mean kerban you know kind of we we met kerban and, and his team from crafted um i don't even know how many years ago it was q you could probably speak to that and you know well, there you go. So about six years ago. And, um, you know, like you said, we started uh, in the UK. I, you know, I went to school. Um, I did a semester abroad at Adnams in uh, Southwald to get some college credit when I was going to brewing school. And so um, I thought it'd be pretty cool to be able to send beer over there. Um, you know, and it is, it's not too far away. It's got to go across an ocean. And, um, you know, we started out there. And when he came and pitched me this whole idea of the, um, the system Balaget, you know, in Sweden, you know, I really had had no real knowledge of, of what it what it meant or what, what it was. And, um, you know, when we did send off that effortless grapefruit, I remember him calling me and you know telling me that we won. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, no, you don't get it. Like, this is a big deal. And I was like, all right, yeah, let's, let's see what happens. And then, boom, you know, it ended up being way bigger than I ever could have expected. And, um, you know, really kind of, you know, again, forced us to get our act together with the canning because all of a sudden we were filling up, you know, containers with 2000 cases to send to Sweden, um, you know, on a fairly regular basis. And it was, um, it's, it's been fun. So since then we've expanded into, you know, throughout Scandinavia, um, you know, a little bit into Russia. Um, you know, I think that we're about to send some beer to the Netherlands, you know, all through Q calls up, says, Hey, I got a new market. I think it's going to work, you know, lays out the plan. And I don't think we've said no yet. We've got a good, uh, good history going. 
That's great. And then, uh, you know, Q, give us a little overview of how you saw. I, I know um, uh, Andrew explained more about how you, you sell to his, you know, his company and it sold in Sweden. How does it work in England? So, you know, are you selling it to an importer? Uh, give us a little bit of what, what that's like. Yeah, sure. So it's it's very similar across uh, multiple markets in in that we spend a lot of time uh, vetting who the important players are, uh, but also where we think each distributor and importer is going to be long term, uh, not just where they are today. Um, and then we go through. You know, Peter and I put a lot of time into our selection process on not just the suppliers and breweries that we work with, but also obviously the importers and distributors. Uh, so we have we have one partner in the UK that manages uh, all the off trade and and the on trade deliveries, um, and that is uh, Euroboozer, which is our partner in the UK. Um, UK is a little bit set, different in that also it has a very powerful group uh, that does um, online subscriptions for beer boxes, uh, a company called Beer Fifty Two that we started working with also in 2018. And they have just, uh, you know, as a result of COVID with the on-trade somewhat collapsing, uh, online subscriptions of home deliveries have skyrocketed in the UK. And so, you know, right now, Scott, Peter and I are working on a fairly large order uh, that will be going directly from the brewery to 100,000 subscribers, homes, fridges um, in a couple months time. So uh, in all the markets, we really just have one partner, but the UK, we actually have two. That's great. And and back to UK, uh, Todd at Mondo. So how do you sell to pubs? Because I know that some pubs in England are are tied to breweries like Samuel Smith Pub. How does it work and how is it open to, to craft breweries? Yeah, so there's obviously there's not a three tier system here. It's uh, so which makes it a little bit easier. But <clears throat> like you said, there are uh, bigger pub groups that are, you know, that have these, these, these pub chains that are, uh, they're tied. So you technically can't, unless you have a listing with them, you can't sell to them. So there's a lot of independent, uh, what they call independent free houses. And those have grown quite a bit over the number over the past few years. And so um, we typically, we go to those pub groups. A lot of them are, are pretty small pub groups, um, you know, where they have like maybe three to 10 uh, pubs in their, in their in their group and um you know we, we have to pitch our beer against the 100 uh, sorry the 2000 2500 breweries that are in the uk sometimes um and uh but you know there's there's definitely a lot of demand for the craft beer here um in, in those pubs and so uh it's a little bit easier in that again there's no three-tier system but it can be quite tricky because you're 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 fighting for a small number of taps. Um, and the, the off trade, uh, historically hasn't been as big. Um, but again, with all this going on, that's, that's really, uh, changed quite a bit. Um, so a lot of the bottle shops that we sell to, they've said that it's like Christmas time for them in terms of sales. So, you know, there's been a a massive shift there. Um, wow, that's great. You know, and back, back to Scott. So Scott, as, as you know, New York state reopens more, when you guys were doing uh, a food program for takeaway, you've got a big beer garden. I've already seen places upstate, like up by Albany, uh, with their beer gardens open. Um, 
what do you think your summer's going to be like in your beer garden? Well, you know, one of the reasons we waited a week, you know, and didn't open up last week with uh, with our beer garden is because we we're kind of changing the model um, in order to you know do what we think is the right thing and you know can, can you know maintain a safe environment and we're doing reservations for the first time ever. Um, you know, we launched a reservation site on Monday and we're already you know have two hundred plus reservations for tomorrow. Um, so you know, we just didn't see any other way of doing it. Um, in order to, you know, keep it safe. I mean, you know, we have, we have such a large space that with the amount of people we normally would get, it would there'd be lines and crowds and people on top of each other. And we didn't want to do that. So, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, people like the new, you know, the new way of doing things, um, at least while we have to do it and, um, and that it works. I mean, you know, the kitchen guys, I think are a little, a little excited too. I mean, they, they've gone from a, you know, a model where they can get a crush of, you know, a people, a line, 50 people deep walking up to the counter and ordering food, you know, rapid fire. And they're just getting crushed to more of a, you know, traditional, I guess, restaurant environment where, you know, we have staggered uh, reservations and, uh, you know, so I guess the, you know, remains to be seen. We're, we're, we're hopeful that we're able to be busy and, you know, uh, you know, do things the way we, we want to do them. But, um, who knows, you know, it really comes down to, you know, what the, what the customers are, you know, feel comfortable doing and, you know, what people, do people want to keep going out? I mean, it seems like they want to go out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an unknown for us, especially with the new way we're having to uh, operate. Yeah. And we're all following it, you know, week by week and seeing what the numbers are and what the governor is saying. So Andrew, back to Sweden. Um, so in general, you know, with this import system, what's hot, and, and what's not, you know, um, just give us like a market overview. So it, it really reflects, uh, same as Scott was saying, uh, where, you know, what's new and new England IPAs, uh, you know, same as Todd was saying, where his portfolio has gone to, um, it, it's, it's very similar. So, you know, with, with, the internet and with, with apps like untapped and, um, and the fact that Sweden's been selling American craft beer here for over a decade in a pretty big way. Um, we, we see the same trends, uh, new England IPA, juicy hop forward, you know, put some Citra and mosaic in it right at the last second and, and, and it sells. But, uh, one thing we do sell, I, I feel a bit more here are, are the, uh, the Gose and, and Berliner Weiss fruited beers. They're, they're quite popular here. Um, and a lot of the local breweries, you know, it's, it's a big part of their portfolio is making sours, fruited sours. Um, and um, so we just try and keep along with the trends. Like, you know, when I try and how it usually goes with the entree is, you know, we're just we, we at Galatea, we have a mix where we have traditional German and Belgian imports, Czech imports. We own our own uh, brewery in Sweden that's a craft brewery that Scott's done a couple collaborations with. And then I kind of am the, the, the craft guy where uh, I work with a, a few different people, but mainly crafted exports. And, you know, we the, the great thing about working with them is that I have the ability to, you know, say I need some good IPAs and sours and Q can go to like 10 different breweries 
and come back to me and be like, okay, if the, if the shipment's going to arrive in October and leave here in September, um, then here's what everybody's brewing in August that you can choose from. And I can put together a container of all these great beers that, you know, I know are going to sell really well because, you know, they're the styles that everybody's purchasing right now. Um, it comes in and we do a little pre-sell, we do a little newsletter and away it goes. Um, but, but really what's hot, it's, it's, it's not too different. I think Swedes just have a, a slightly higher affinity for kind of a, a tart, uh, sweet and tart because, um, the candies here when they're kids aren't, aren't as sweet as they are in America. So like kids in Sweden start getting a, a, a flavor for very sour, puckery, uh, and and even like licorice, black licorice is a huge thing here. It's 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 gross, but they love it. Um, and so I, I think as adults, they they find sour beers are are a little more easy to approach than I think your typical um, like like novice American craft drinker. Right? Once you drink craft beer long enough, I mean, uh, I got to give sh- a little shout out. I know it's a bit early over there, but uh, it's it's past dinner time here. I am enjoying. And achieving greatness from Mr. Vaccaro from 2018 when, when we got a, a few cases of that sent over here that I'm sneaking away for a little while. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's the same thing, man. You know, Pilsners are still like like most European, you know, mainland European countries, Pilsners rule. And, you know, you, you have your Czech and your German. Um, that's what's big here. Um, Belgian beers are still actually quite popular. Um, they haven't kind of been pushed aside so heavily. Like I kind of felt like they were in America to make room for all the American craft beer. Um, you know, you still have a, a pretty devoted following to the Trappist beers and, 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 you know, classic Saison golden ales and dark ales from Belgium. Um, so it's pretty cool because, you know, what's hot is the same, but it hasn't kind of dulled uh, craft beer drinkers love for, you know, the, the traditional stuff from the UK, the, the bitters and the milds and the browns, the, the uh, great stuff that comes from Belgium and, you know, the, the kind of more classic high-end uh, lagers and pilsners from Germany and the Czech Republic. Wow, that, that's great, Andrew. Um, again, so you're drinking the Captain Lawrence, what is it called? Uh, this is his achieving greatness. So this was uh, his in in 2018 uh, before he expanded the brewery and and had to move all of his sour beer around. Um, luckily, uh, me and Kirvan put a order together that we bought in a lot of his his sour beer mixed, and I think we we had the achieving greatness, the frutetto, and. Uh, what was, uh, I know we, we bought in some barrel select at that point too. Um, and, um, you know, we'd, we'd sell it to the on trade. Um, we'd sell it online. You know, you can, you can, even if you don't get onto the shelf at system blog, it, you could post it on their website basically and sell very, very small incremental, you know, amounts that, you know, uh, it, it goes slow, but it's available and it's cool. And then, you know, when I started with Crafted Exports, my job was going around the country and trying to build uh, the brand. And so we'd we'd bring in all this awesome beer and we'd do tap takeovers around the country. 
um, where we'd have, you know, eight different beers of Captain Lawrence on at once and then uh, also have a few different of his, his best selections and bottles and cans. Um, so, you know, we, we tended to sell Scott Sours very, very quickly. You know, we'd bring in like 50 cases um, and they usually wouldn't last more than a couple of months. But, um, you know, me being me, I, I, I always managed to sneak a few home and, and I've been aging this one for a couple of years now. Um, and and it, it just tastes great. Great job, Scott. Andrew, I have a, uh, I have a, a, uh, a Captain Lawrence Barrel Select Gold that I've been holding on to for a while, but I think you've inspired me to pop that open maybe for Father's Day uh, this weekend. I'm glad you, uh, you reminded me of it. Sometimes I, I sell her this stuff for so long I forget I have it. Um, but that'll be a nice, uh, a nice treat. No, that's, that's one of the perks of this trade. Just Andrew, just a, a, like a local question. Do you live in an apartment or do you live in a house? We, that's, uh, <laughs> so it's very hard to rent here. Most people own, even young kids, when they, when they leave home, they, they get out of college. Um, you, you typically scrape money together and, and get a small apartment to own, um, so there's not a lot of, of rentals like there are in New York City. So when Sophia got the job, she let her school know, hey, we, we need a place to live. Um, and, and thankfully, they helped out. So we landed in an apartment. Um, and, and I'm talking like, you know, if you looked at it, you'd think like, yeah, this is kind of like, like communist era housing, public housing. But um, it, it's very, you know, socialist, like everybody's kind of equal but we, you know, we have a balcony, we have an indoor parking spot, we got, you know, a gym and a sauna in another building. But that's like, that's like base level living for Swedes. <laughs> um, and, and luckily enough, you know, we, um, we were able to uh, get a house that we're going to move into at the end of the month, uh, a cute little yellow Swedish row house. It's like so typically Swedish, it's, it's sick. Um, the, the only thing I have left to do is buy a Volvo and I'm a full Swede. <laughs> Well, we're going to wrap, and then, so Todd, uh, in London, wh what are you drinking right now? I have just uh, moved on to our birthday double IPA, Lilo, uh, which we just packaged yesterday. It's an 8% double IPA. Uh, nice haze to it, but uh, five different malts, uh, six different hops, actually. Uh, yeah, tasting great. So, And wh where do you live? Do you live in London? Do you live in a flat? Yeah, so we live in a house uh, about just under two miles away from the brewery. So I walk to work most days, about a half an hour walk. So it's uh, that's the great thing about living here. It's uh, you know if you live close enough to work, you can walk. And um, we love uh, the amount of green space you have here in London. It's great. So yeah. And I've heard that London's not gonna, not everything's gonna open until twenty twenty one. Do you have any updates on when when like your brewery tap room might open or? Yeah, we're not planning on opening the tap room anytime soon. We have, our tap room is uh, it's pretty confined space. I mean, there's it's a capacity of 65 people, but really, I mean, if you have 45, 50 people in here, it's packed. Um, we do have outdoor space in the front, uh, but it's like maybe five tables worth. So again, with with us turning the tap room into our online uh, shop packing area, we just don't see us opening the tap room anytime soon. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we had planned on having some, some big uh, events on uh, in April and obviously our birthday party. And we usually do one in 
in the uh, end of October, early November, but those have all gone, gone out the window. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to probably, we probably won't up the top room again until end of the year, maybe at best. Uh, so yeah, we'll see what happens. So, who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll be there in 2021 for brisket King London and I'll come and see you. So. Yeah. And, and so Scott, uh, what, what are you drinking, buddy? Are you drinking yet? Cause we're, we're in New York. So it's only like, uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, I was putting in some reps on the bottling line actually before I got uh, got on this call. So I'm drinking a, a fresh Chester Pale Ale, fresh off the line. Probably one of the first beers we ever made. Still going, uh, still brewing it, and I'm still drinking it. You know, one of my favorites from years ago. You had like a, a larger 16 ounce bottle of an Imperial IPA. Yeah. What what was that beer called? Yeah, we back then it was called the Captain's Reserve Imperial IPA. Um, we kind of uh, that beer has seen a few iterations over the years. Current the current iteration, sim, you know, same recipe for the most part is palate shifter. It's in a sixteen ounce can. Doesn't leave the brewery. Only released in our tap room and uh, always a big seller. Yes, somebody just like had an outburst. Was that Andrew about the Captain's Reserve? I remember when I worked at Manhattan Beer and we would, you know, he didn't brew it too often. So when we got it in, you know, we we would basically he'd bottle it and we'd send the truck there to pick it up. And as soon as it went to the back of the warehouse, I'd sign myself out of case that day. And I just remember popping open that cap and it just had such an amazing aroma of like fresh cut pineapple. And it, it at 11%, like it, it was inevitable. That that night I was getting drunk. Uh, I love that beer. You know, that was a special. <laughs> I did the Market same thing. Research. I used to get a case at a time. And let's wrap it up with, with, with Corban and, and Pete. Anything else you want to say and, and let us know what you're drinking? Well, I guess yeah. No one cares where I live, uh, but uh, no, I'm, I'm drinking. I've got two beers in front of me. I've got uh, Juicy White from Captain Lawrence, uh, which is going live in Sweden very soon. Uh, it's a happy wheat ale. Um, and then actually, uh, Todd was kind enough. I've got uh, Mondo's collaboration with Three Chiefs. They're double IPA, a very un-English eight and a half percent. Nice choices, Kerban. I. Uh... Like Kerban, I'm in Brooklyn, but like Kerban, I don't think anybody else cares. Um, one thing I wanted to highlight is how um, how nicely everybody has been like working together in um, in the beer industry, but especially with our partners, uh, given the the challenges that we've all been facing. A lot of what you heard on the call really highlights the community of beer, like meeting Andrew and and getting to work with him, and um, you know how everybody can help and support each other, Um, but also how flexible and entrepreneurial everybody has had to continue to be to kind of pivot and flex their models. Um, And I I know I'm the ops guy on the call, but it's also nice to hear how flexible everybody has been on their supply chain to make sure that they can still get, get beer to the people who want them you know, locally or, or overseas. So I, I, you know, I wanted to thank everybody um, uh, on, on today's show, because it's been, it's been really nice working with everybody and learning from everybody too, about what are the different ways that we can kind of get through this challenging time together. Um, what am I drinking? I had Keir Hamilton drop off some beer the other day from Alewife uh, Brewery. He and I used to work together at, at six point. So on tap t- for tonight, I have, uh, the Distraction IPA, uh, which is one of their uh, newer releases. And uh, I actually had a friend drop off um, some beers from Folks Beer uh, right here in Carroll Gardens. Uh, they're home listening, 
which I thought was appropriate for for today's show, which is their uh, their wheat lager, which I'm excited to uh, to crack open and try later too. Well, you, you guys, it's, it's been a great show. Kurban in particular, thank you for once again putting together some really great guests for us. Um, I'm drinking, so I, I'm in the East Village. I still live on the same street as, as the, my former Jimmy's number 43, but I'm actually two doors away from McSorley's, and uh, they, they were also closed for over two months, and last, I think two weeks ago, they opened with just the outdoor takeout. So in New York City, there's like bars can do a little takeout window. And they've got a nice little crowd of people that gather, but not, not too long ago you heard of a motorcycle pull up. So the sounds of McSorley's as a neighbor, you've got trucks pulling in a couple times a week with about 100 kegs a week of, of the beers that, that they pour. And there's usually some guys on motorcycle pulling up every day. So those are my sounds. But I'm drinking uh, Lawson's Finest, their new Little Sit IPA, 6.2%, which uh, thanks to Sean Lawson he just sent down. So... You guys have been great. Thanks to everybody. Um, we got Kurban, Pete, Todd, Andrew, and Scott. Thanks for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our producer, uh, Dylan Hoyer, and head engineer, Matt Patterson, at the Heritage Radio Network. Please become a member. If you join this week, you're going to get a special COVID bandana at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! <laughs> Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Cinecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.